Hello. Oh. I was just watching some of your homework while I was waiting for you to arrive. Oh. What? <laughs> How many syllables are in that word? All of them. Yeah, no, it's not really homework. I, I'm going to put it in the homework now. Oh boy, fact. it was it was actually it's actually follow up from last week or last show or whatever. Oh. More uh, more Shark Tank? No. Do you remember last week? Uh, what we were talking about statistics and you learning statistics, oh, yeah, and I yeah, said yeah. you should actually maybe look at calculus, and I suggested relativity, and I, I said I'd, I'll find some YouTube videos that are good on, on these two topics. I just added them. I added the relativity to my stack and that calculus is a long list, but I'll find a way in. Yeah, we'll put these in the show notes. They are playlists on YouTube, so it's not just one video. I put the relativity one first because I think it is slightly less intimidating. Both of them have a lot more, and when I'm looking at it with fresh eyes, they have a lot more math than I had recalled, but it, they're the type of videos, if you start with the relativity ones, the type of videos where it really helps if you watch them more than once. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that sounds terrible, but like it's 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 a YouTube video. It's it's minute physics. It's fast talking, you know, then not a lot of pauses for understanding. So sometimes if they lose you, then you're just off in the weeds and it's better to just start over. And, you know, it's it's not that the concepts are difficult. You know, it's just editing and YouTube to, to keep people's attention. You got to, you know, say one thing and say yeah, the next yeah. thing and show a thing, not give people time to dwell and understand, which is. Where the real learning happening. So I think it does help to watch it multiple times. In particular, I think uh, in relativity, uh, the chap- chapter three, the third video, is the one to watch multiple times until it sinks in. And then the calculus one, I don't know. I, I, I picked uh, the best one I could find is recommended by a bunch of people. It's kind of hard. I guess it's hard to describe calculus without getting into a lot of math. I was hoping there'd be like a theoretical one that doesn't talk about math, but just sort of does it in like, let's pretend we don't know math. Let me just describe it. And I haven't found that one, but anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think it's true for a lot of uh, movies where from my whole life, it would not be unusual for me to watch a movie more than once. If it's a movie I like, obviously the more rare thing would be seeing a movie more than once if I didn't like it the first time. But the truth is there's a whole bunch of movies. I like a ton more the second time, often because the pressure was off to, in the case of something like a Star War, like the pressure was off for it to be the greatest movie I've ever seen and I could just take it on its own terms. I think there's a lot of stuff like that. Also, I, I'm not really, I, sometimes I'm not sure about my relationship with educational tourism, hmm. especially the kind on YouTube. And then the, I'm just thinking out loud here because, you know, I, I sometimes feel like, what the, oh God, where did I hear this great quote? It might've been on Ted Lasso. I think it was on Ted Lasso. Um, the phrase, um, you know, it's like riding a horse where if you're comfortable, you're not doing it right. By the way, very good show, Ted Lasso. Is that true about horses? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just passing it along. Doesn't, I'm just a tourist. Doesn't sound right to me. The point being that, you know, I, there's this kind of niggling feeling I get that, and this is nothing, nothing against anybody, but th- there's, there's something similar to the turns out phenomenon to a lot of um, the little dips we take into consumer level understanding of difficult topics where it's because your priors on that kind of stuff are the basic stuff most people know, 
in my case, I, I feel like I'm really not equipped to even evaluate how good this is at teaching me the thing. I'm not sure where I'm going with this. And I'm, I'm not, I will watch these, but I am starting to try and get a little bit more critical about my own response to stuff that has been deliberately made into something understandable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that, I mean, that's why I, I picked the, at least for the relativity one, which I'm much more familiar with, the, the one that I did. Like, you're right that it's very easy to find lots of examples on YouTube where that are sort of, uh, you know, people of our generation would say, what, MTV style? Fast cuts? Yeah, fast you know? cuts, yeah. And, you know, anyway, every generation has some uh, analogy for uh, content they think has been stylized to the point where the content has been subverted. So mm-hmm. stylized videos that are trying to make people think they understand a concept when really at the end of the video, they may have been entertained and had some interesting moments, but actually they don't understand it. And in fact, repeated viewings will not reveal an understanding because something about it is oversimplified to the point of, you know, being useless. Yes. Right. Is, is that what you're getting at with the, with the educational tourism? Kind of. I mean, like, have we, we, have we, we've talked about, I feel like we must have talked about those videos. I forget whose videos they are. Maybe wired, but there's a good series of videos, or at least I think very interesting on several levels, a series of videos, where somebody who is an expert at something um, explains their field to people of different ages and sophistication. Mm-hmm. So you know what I'm talking about? Like, it, like um, not the large hydron, not, not the collider, but no, but there was one where it was about, oh, it was about supercomputing maybe. And you explain it to like a very small child and an elementary kid, you know, so forth, all the way up to somebody who could be practically a peer of yours. And watching something like that makes you think, wow, that's, you know, and I, I've always had this kind of back of an envelope idea that the difference between being an expert and a master has something to do with your ability to communicate it to other people in a way that will make sense, you know, uh, given their background. So there's nothing wrong with saying, I mean, you wouldn't say to a child, you know, you shouldn't learn addition until you understand calculus. That obviously wouldn't make sense on the face of it. And you need to rely more on things like analogies. And I, I think that's that's interesting. But I, for example, there's this a reporter, a journalist, I, I forget her name. She's really cool. She writes, she has basically the COVID beat at the New York Times. And I should find her name because she's very good. I just heard a really good interview with her uh, the other day on a podcast um, I forget the podcast, but I can look it up. But um, she was basically, she's, they, they were talking to her about the, uh, the changes in what we know about COVID over time, which sometimes gets weaponized to say stuff like, oh, Dr. Fauci said never wear a mask. Well, well, there was a time when the WHO's guidance was don't wear a mask, but part of their guidance comes from maybe people can't afford masks. Are there other ways? You get into this whole incredibly fascinating thing of, she, she walked right up to the line of calling it religion. But the idea that different kinds of virologists or different people who study illness, you know, they basically, what I took from it was that some sorts of experts who are very good and esteemed in their field essentially need to be talked out of their general approach to something by a large amount of evidence. And if that large amount of evidence doesn't exist, we're going to push down on aerosolization or whatever that word is like that this can be passed as an aerosol rather than droplets because that changes so many things about our model to cut a long story short i mean it's obviously it's very cynical to say well you know in the space of six months how could all this stuff change it's like well it changes because what we know changes and that's what makes it science and not religion is that we we have to change our approach over, over time be courageous about problematizing our own information 
and then to also be, uh, as I say, critical about how much our uncertainty we have. So I don't know. I, I just think from an, I hate to say it this way, but from like sort of an epistemological standpoint, I do think it's really fascinating to say like, well, what, what honest, what true things, what consistent things, what fresh things can we say about this that don't cut into what we're trying to accomplish or that don't cut short the science on this? And that's, and that, the reason I'm saying that here in this case, not even having seen these videos, is that is the impulse that initially made me a little bit resistant to some turns out stuff and now makes me practically an advocate against turns out stuff because it, it, so we've talked about it here for sure. But the problem is that that turns out style uh, has a lot of problems to it. One of which is its primary goal is closer to clickbait than scholarship. It is that I'm trying to give you some fresh new uh, learnings. (laughs) They're going to make you feel smarter than the average bear, but that doesn't mean you really understand the problem domain. So that's all. I'm just tossing that out here. I I, I have a lot I can learn from anything, but when we get to the point where I find myself quoting stuff that I don't really understand, like I just did, we know we're in the dangerous territory. Yeah, that's the dividing line between uh, something that is satisfying as entertainment, which turns out stuff definitely is because it's it's, it's like it's like the fifth flavor. It's like you know you've got whatever, but salty, sweet, sour, Salt, sweet, sour, bitter, umami, and umami, mm-hmm. right? And turns out is umami for entertainment, like because you you watch you could yeah. watch something and have it be entertaining because it makes you sad or happy or exciting or scared, right? But then someone figured out also we can create a form of entertainment that makes you feel like a that you are clever because we're going to describe a thing that all those dummies think, but it turns out that the truth is X. And when we reveal it to you, you will feel like you're in on this very important insight and everyone else is a snork to use Mm -hmm. your word. Uh, But now you, it turns out you now have this uh, extra information that we've shared with you. And so we together, me as a piece of media and you as the person consuming it, now you get the umami. Like that's that's (laughs) the fifth flavor. Do you remember when, um, when, I think it's when the Triangle ex-boyfriend, the Triangle artist is in the hospital and the Seinfeld gang goes to visit them and they talk about, they talk about the procedure, the guys lost all the weight and, uh, the, that the doctor is, is, is there and Kramer's asking something like, are you going to be using this certain kind of clamp in the operation? And he goes, and then he just looks at Kramer. He's like, so the one you saw in 2020 last night or whatever it was, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's that's what I that's what I worry about. I worry that like something can be converted from hmm, that's an interesting thing into like now because I I know a couple facts and I know how to regurgitate them. Um, I, I don't know if I'm any smarter or uh, I have any more depth of information, but it's just and you know I have to tell you, John, I feel like this is practically an ongoing topic on this show as I cast my mind back over time and what we've talked about. And other shows. I mean, Kramer read all the same magazines as the doctor did, right? Well, George is going great, just so you know. That guy's, that guy's a, a real piece of work. But, um, you know, the, this, like, for example, think about the conversation we had a million years ago about, um, I don't remember the exact topic, but it was basically me talk, saying to you, how would you be teaching technology-related topics? I think my case was something for, like, well, I would start with better, you know, security stuff just even light security stuff but i was especially asking you like should kids learn to code or whatever and like that's such a silly question for somebody like me to ask but it's an interesting question for you to answer because you are in a position to say 
to some extent, at least given your own history, that this is what depends what you're trying to do, what's going to make this valuable. But just, you know, blindly demanding that other people learn something that, that, that I don't know or that we don't know doesn't necessarily improve anything. It's just, you know, J random education. I don't know. Yeah. I think uh, everything we just described, like, uh, the videos on these particular topics benefit from a lot of things. that's not true of COVID technology, learning about technology, coding, stuff like that. Uh, Things in these, I don't know what you want to call them, hard sciences, pure science, mathematics, physics, uh, those, uh, particularly those realms in uh, sort of things uh, established uh, parts of those fields, right? Doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that they're particularly right. That's part of learning what the fields work like. This is just the best model we have at the moment. And people work their entire careers to try to find some chink in that armor and, you know, disprove something. And in fact, that's exactly, you know, why Einstein's so famous. He took a bunch of things that everybody assumed were true and proved that they weren't, which is why, you know, he's, that's why he's Einstein. Mm -hmm. Um, But so these concepts are uh, not turns out things because they're super old and well understood and still the current foundations for our understand our best understanding our best model of the universe and so many many generations of people have had the opportunity to try to communicate these to future generations like teaching essentially you know just like you just mentioned addition and multiplication like how many generations of people have taught addition and multiplication to children and as we've discussed in this very show it evolves how the best way to teach it evolves and we learn uh, this way is better than that way. Let's try this. Let's try that. Right. But the essential truth of addition has not really changed. And right. so lots of different people get to make different runs at it without having to worry about like, oh, well, this is going to like COVID. This is going to change 15 times. And are we making a mistake by teaching somebody something that could be wrong next year? When people are teaching addition, they're not worried. They're like, but if I teach them addition and then, well, I guess maybe <laughs> with the sort of the new math, like I taught them to do addition with carrying, but it turns out carrying is not the best way. Oh, no, we have this whole generation of people who only use carrying. It's fine, right? Yeah. Uh, but especially, especially in this, is not we're not teaching you, you know, these this relativity and calc things. We're not teaching these things so you can become a physicist and use relativity in in like as a tool to accomplish something. Not even same thing with calculus. We're not asking you to use calculus in your life. We're just trying to communicate. Here is a thing that we humans figured out, and it's cool. And that's I guess that's the umami of this. It's not it turns out, but it's like you've learned not enough to do anything with this. This it's like you know you don't know enough to code it would be like if i taught you what code is and you came to an actual understanding oh i get it that's what code is you still can't do any code you can't write any code mm-hmm. at all you know that's not the goal the goal is to get you to understand what the heck code is and so mm-hmm. this you know relativity i think it's one of the one of the least intuitive and most fun things that can be explained to a person without expecting them to do anything with that knowledge except to have their mind be boggled yeah, that that for me that was like the, the physics for poets class that I had, mm-hmm. which was a zero science. That was not what it was called, but I think it was called the nature of modern physics. It was taught by the physics professor, who I think had very little patience for RBS, but didn't love the idea <laughs> of like comparing the Tao to Jing. The physics professor at New College. <laughs> well, put I upon. mean, there there were some believe it or not, people do take science there, but he, uh, I think he didn't have a lot of patience for my wackadoo. Like, oh, this is the Tao to Jing. Uh, can be compared to <laughs> yes. quantum mechanics, and and it's like, mm, okay, all right. all right, yes. We see you've taken other classes. Congratulations, student. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the the woman, I think it's yeah, it's a woman, and I'll try and find that podcast she was on. But her name is Ap- Apurva Mandavili, 
And for example, the latest thing from hers I read was today, uh, headline, Older Children and the Coronavirus, A New Wrinkle in the Debate. Um, Deck, a new report from South Korea throws into question an earlier finding regarding transmission by older children. So, I mean, like, it's the kind of thing where, like, that, this was, this was the, the talking point for a while was that, oh, well, first we know kids, kids don't seem to get very as sick and they don't seem to pass it on. And then we learn, oh, but also older kids can pass it on. Oh, and also, as again, the weeks might be weeks between these different revelations. Then you come along with, well, actually, throat and nose of a little kid can have a ton of, uh, of virus in it and get passed around. And now, basically, I think they're saying here, the South Korean thing that was causing such a dust up had some, had some problems related to, like, for example, the people they were studying were only of a certain age. I, again, I don't fully understand this, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like stuff like that. I find it all, I find it all very entertaining. What was I going to say about, I forget what. But um, yeah, I will uh, I will check these out. Yeah, the only uh, warning preface for the relativity one is like, like anything in science and math, it assumes some sort of foundational knowledge. Like you can't really do addition until you know counting, right? Yeah, so sure. If you if you drop someone into addition and they're like, what are what are these funny symbols? What the hell is a one or a two? I have no idea what you're talking about. They're not going to get addition, right? So yeah. the relativity video assumes you understand like graphing on an axis and stuff, which presumably most people do. But thing is every video can't start from first principles, right? It can start from first principles of relativity, but it can't start from first principles of numbers and graphs. Right. Um, right. And it, so it just assumes, you, you know, the those cake, things. you got to invent the universe. Right. Yeah. And, and the thing is, everyone's like, Oh, sure. I know, I know counting and numbers and I know, I know X and Y axes and graphs. Like I know all that stuff. Um, but then they take it and not only do they assume you, you understand it, they assume you understand it the same way you understand like <laughs> the alphabet. And which, which before we even get to like, do I really understand it? it was, by the time my kid was in second or third grade, I was lost with what she was doing. I mean, like, like numbers in the number line. You're like, I know, I know counting. I know, I know numbers. And the number stories. I still don't really understand what a number story is. It's... <laughs> oh, we don't have to know that. That's a good thing of our generation. We don't have to know how to do it the, the new way. We can only ever know how to do it the old way and the old way works and it's fine. We'll just, we'll just live out our lives carrying and then we'll just die. And that's fine. That's, that's how the world works. That's a nice feeling. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by ExpressVPN. You can learn more about ExpressVPN right now by visiting expressvpn.com slash diffs. ExpressVPN lets you access the internet as if you're from a different country. Netflix has different shows and movies available, depending on where you are. With ExpressVPN, you can unlock thousands of new shows and movies from streaming libraries around the globe. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but ExpressVPN is ridiculously fast. You can stream everything in HD quality with zero buffering. And ExpressVPN is available on every device, uh, phones, laptops, tablets, even your TV. ExpressVPN works with many streaming services, Netflix, Amazon Prime, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, and many more. You can choose from almost 100 different countries, and it's so simple to use. You just fire up the ExpressVPN app, change your location, hit connect, and Bob's your uncle. You refresh the page or the show or the movie, uh, it'll just magically appear. Poof. Uh, it's really easy to set up and use. I think that's really one of the best things about ExpressVPN. You just hit the big button and it goes. Uh, you know, they can, they can use that. 
But, uh, but, but, but like, for example, uh, check this out. You can get, uh, you can get Brooklyn Nine-Nine from Netflix Canada, How I Met Your Mother from Netflix Germany, Star Trek Discovery from Netflix UK. How cool is that? Right now, if you go to expressvpn.com slash diffs, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Um, have we any follow-up? I have one more minor follow-up item besides the relativity and calculus videos, which I promised last show. We have one secret Brit suggested by you, by a listener. Somebody to, gave us another secret Brit. Uh, this is also another secret Brit that I'm pretty sure mm. I knew was a secret Brit and then forgot mm. and then knew again. Every time I learn someone's a secret Brit, it's like it's the first time. So, mm-hmm. All right. I, I don't know if I agree with this. I got to look this up. Oh, is it, is it not true? Is this, it turns out? I think she's Australian. Oh, secret Australian. Well, we use Brit as a sort of, <laughs> in, in a colonial sense, I suppose. <laughs> Another great line from Ted Lasso. How many countries are there in this country? <laughs> uh, Sarah Snook, right? I don't know the actress name. Uh, Shiv from Succession. Sarah Snook is an Australian actress. Yeah, close enough, though. I mean, she's definitely not American. And the main That's thrust right. here is... Are they pulling it off at at passing American? Absolutely, she's absolutely pulling it off. Yeah, absolutely. that's the thing with there's so many different accents in America, and yeah. so many different people have different ways of talking. That if I see somebody, uh, an actor, and they do, if the if their actual accent never comes through, but they just talk a little funny, I'm just like, oh, that's how that actor talks, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't say. Maybe they're trying to do an American accent and failing. Like, it's rare that that happens. It happens occasionally. Some people just can't do American accents at all. Like, very often people on, like, you know, late night talk shows um, will, some British actor will come on and try to do an American accent. And it's like, nope, nope, you're not. That's not, you're not doing it. Yeah, it sounds like somebody from Monty Python. Right. Um, But uh, Shiv pulls it off. Whatever accent she has hiding under there, she 100% fooled me. Uh, And she (laughs) she is this week's secret Brit. Uh, asterisk colonial empire whatever oh, colonial empire edition yeah like the genius edition mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> schopenhauer is a philosopher <laughs> um what else was did i have one of those Boy, i'm kind of out of it so so we're recording this john has a uh, first of all we're recording on an odd day because of some things and then uh we're recording at an odd time and then uh so that that's really confused my, my brain's not really sure you know, fishing or foul. I'm not sure what's going on right now. Yeah. The good news is this odd day and odd time has uh, faked out the bugs. Do you know our bug situation? Yeah, I heard. Mm, you heard. Yeah. That's okay. I got a buzz here I need to figure out. So maybe I can be your bug. I'll be your bug. You mm. smash me with that iPad like your French girls. I, I recorded a, another one of my podcasts a couple of days ago and this terrible, you know, high pitched constant bug noise was outside i think outside my house i had heard it earlier in the day and i had tried to hunt the bug down because it was so loud i'm like that bug first i'm like that bug has to be in this room it i mean it can't it has to be like literally in this room so i'm going and it's one of those you know high pitch kind of it's probably a cicada so if you know what a cicada sounds like just imagine that sound right i can I, I didn't find the bug so i can't say that for sure but it's probably a cicada mm-hmm. so i'm looking in my own house with the flashlight for a cicada i didn't find one Right. Then I go outside and it's one of those situations where you go outside, then all of a sudden it stops. Yeah. 
Ah, God, And you're yes. like, well, what the hell? And then you go back inside, and as soon as you go back inside, it starts again. That, that is the story of insects. And they will, they will, the thing is, you don't scare away an insect forever. Like, and I, I went through this with some recent fly swatting I had to do. And it's like, you, you might just disrupt them a little bit, but they're going to come straight back. I don't think this thing went anywhere. I think it just stopped rubbing its little wings together uh, or whatever sure. it's doing to make sure, the sure. noises. Right. And so anyway, the point is I recorded a podcast and during the podcast, this this thing is so loud. Now, I've got all my windows closed. Everything is all sealed up. So if it is outside, I'm doing everything that I can to to stop it. But anyway, it bled through into the recording. Uh, and Marco is the editor of that show. Couldn't find a good way to remove it without removing like the yep. high pitched sounds in my S's. And so decided to just leave it in. And then we proceeded to get 5,000 messages on Twitter telling us, did you know there's a high-pitched wine in, mm-hmm. in your show? There's a really high-pitched wine. Can't figure it out. Anyway, so Marco re- <laughs> found a way to remove the sound and re-release the episode. After and he, I tried, he tried isotope, right? Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that, that didn't work. Uh, he ended up having to sort of notch out that entire frequency. He tried that with, with his equalizer. That didn't work. He used a different tool to sort of notch out that entire frequency. Um, and got rid of the bug, yeah. So anyway... No bug right now. Like yeah. other than the That's normal, okay. I got the like, buzz. I got the buzz. But what, did you have like an electrical? I buzz, think there's think? something. There's something. Zzzy, and I'll, I don't know what mm. it is, but it's been showing up. Oh, before we leave this, I do. I did remember what I was going to say. Uh, remind me to ask you about nature shows in a second. Uh, two things, real quick. Um, so Sarah Snook uh, in that movie you really like, Predestination. Obviously, she's really good in that. Did, did you see American Pickle? I have not seen it. I'm She's aware in that. Of it, She's in that. Hmm. That's I. I what, uh, what accent is she doing in that? Um, I don't want to say too much. All right, but no spoilers. European. I, I don't think you'll like it a lot. I mean, European I th- is that an accent? <laughs> That's a percent. <laughs> and uh, and she's also in that terrible Steve Jobs movie. I hate. She is plays she? Wow. Andrea Andy Cunningham. The 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 who is the star? Siobhan. Of the one? Yeah, no. Oh, the, the one the with Steve, uh, Jobs Steve one. we've already printed these. With, that, with Fassbender, right? With Fassbender and with uh, with uh, Titanic. She's in it, too. Yeah, I have not seen that movie and never will, probably. Um, really, real quick question, and this this actually can serve as a uh, a bridge if we're going to our topics, but main topic. But anyway, um, how do you feel? Do you have a feeling in general about quote-unquote nature documentaries? Are there, do there some you like more than others? Like what, when you, how do you feel about nature documentaries? Because I, obviously I'm not going to, I don't want to lead you here, but I do have a feeling about it. I'm curious what yours is. My answer is going to have to be prefaced by, with a little bit of a time warp because I, past tense, loved nature shows and nature documentaries. I grew up watching them. I consumed them voraciously. Like you watch a Disney and it's like, everything's totally like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Make it like people, uh, anthropomorphize, anthropomorphize the animals. Yeah, exactly. The word with some bunch of syllables that I can't get out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, yes. Made to be like people, but no, I, I watch every kind of nature show as a kid. I watch the silly Disney ones where everyone's a little Disney character. I watch the super serious ones. I watch the David Attenborough ones. I watch the incredibly dry ones that had no personality whatsoever that were on PBS. I watched all of them. I loved all of them. Now that all that said, I would imagine that today, you know, today, first of all, today I don't really watch nature shows and I would imagine today nature shows like the ones I grew up with basically no longer exists and every single one of them is some sort of weird discovery channel history channel secret nazis aliens built the pyramids mm. mumbo oh, jumbo yeah, could be, could be. shark week uh bs garbage mtv style <laughs> fast cutting uh turns out 
meme filled whatever that's what i imagine but uh, but but nature shows in general i still think of my childhood and i say nature shows they are a thing that i love and I, there's got to be some go I, I know planet earth has lots of dramatic footage on it i don't know if that's a really good nature show i've watched a lot of planet earth but it's not quite the same well this is this is the part this is the, that, that's why i brought this up is because i feel like this gets us to an interesting point with um the sort of not the turns out part of this but i mean <sighs> It's unfair to hold these, it's probably unfair to hold these to a different standard than other kinds of documentaries, let alone film as a thing. It would be pretty callow to say, well, these things are made up. Well, everything's made up. I mean, every decision you make about lighting, editing, any of that kinds of stuff, it's, you know, some of the old Disney ones, though, I guess what I'm trying to say here is, like, I still continue to marvel at the ability to get whatever shot they got. I'm amazed that they got that shot. You think about how many hours you would have to just sit around, unless you just had some kind of remote camera, but for pretty much any kind of well done, especially like a planet Earth, it's amazing what they managed to get. So, I mean, there is that, but I've, I don't, I feel like I've heard it said that the old classic <laughs> Disney documentaries, nature documentaries are pretty ginned up. I don't know if that's accurate, but that's what I've heard. Oh, yeah. The ton tons of the ones I watched as a kid were like 100% staged. Like they show you essentially an establishing shot of the wild. And then like all of the medium and close up shots are a bunch of lucite cubes in the lab somewhere with lighting that tries to match the outdoors. And the thing is, I knew that as a kid and hmm. I was willing to accept it because, you know, at least when I was a kid in the nature shows, the bottom line is that, yes, it's 100% staged and everything, but that's still a real ant. Like it's still mm -hmm. a literally a real ant. Yes, it's an ant in a box in some laboratory indoors and they've staged it so that it will do exactly what they want it to do. But it's still a real ant and it's still doing those real things and the ant doesn't know it's in the thing. So it's all fine. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the frogs and the fish or whatever. Yes, they're in a tank so you can get the camera in there. They're not actually in nature. It's still a real fish. These days, I wonder if it's more fraught because it's like, well, that's actually CG. And then it's like, that's not an nature show anymore. Now you're just making an animated movie. You, they have to be right. real animals. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I guess, the, the kind of lame first level thing I was going to say about this was that, I mean, for example, when we say we see nature documentary, what, what, what will we talk about when we talk about documentaries? Nanook of the North, um, Roger and Me, uh, Supersize Me, uh, those, uh, the, um, the active, active killing, those. I mean, those are all so very different and use the medium in such vastly different ways. And let's be honest, with maybe differing degrees of, of candor or sort of intellectual honesty. I mean, you know, once you've watched five or six Michael Moore movies, I mean, I would not consider that a great source of news, for example. I love Roger and me, but by the time I got to uh, the Bowling for Columbine, I was like, geez, guy, this is, you know, <laughs> I don't know. So, I mean... I, but it is interesting to me though, because like not all documentaries are created equal, obviously. So, you know, why would all nature documentaries be created equal? But it also, the reason I bring it up here is that that's the kind of thing where I don't think I'm over much fooling myself into thinking that this is an education into biology or animal husbandry or anything. It's fun to watch, you know, it's just, I, I don't want to, I don't want to try to convince myself, but now that now I could be a, a lab tech for a vet based on watching a lot of them. Yeah, Planet Earth really amps up the visual spectacle, and I feel like it it leaves it leaves out the. I mean, even even the the shows that were like that when I was a kid, where they like look the whole point of the show is we have some amazing footage. They would still essentially insist on dropping a load of facts on top of you 
to set the stage and <laughs> that's the context, what makes it educational, right? <laughs> right? And but they would, they would have, they would have, you know, reasonable facts as understood at the time, which are probably all wrong by now because people continue to learn things. But they would say these type of animals live this long, and there's this many of them, and they primarily do this, and they do that, and blah blah blah. And then they show the footage, right? Whereas planet Earth is much less concerned with telling you much of anything. I was like, look, you don't need to know anything to to appreciate the sharks jumping out of the water and, and biting the seals out of the air. Like, yeah, no, we don't. You know, we can say great white sharks. They're big. They're mean. They got a lot of teeth. Seals. Yeah. Oh, the poor seals. Anyway, here you go. <laughs> and then 15 minutes of footage of great white sharks literally leaping out of the water, chomping seals in half with their giant teeth. Um, so, yeah, amazing footage. Uh, n- not a lot of education, but that's fine because part that's one branch of nature documentaries just to get people to appreciate the beauty of the planet that we live on and be amazed by the things that they see. Not everything has to be a bunch of facts and figures. Uh, it's just that... Uh, I feel like we swung pretty hard in the mm-hmm. direction of spectacle, uh, even things like Shark Week. And th- th- it seemed to be far fewer of the really boring British person who's not David Attenborough or whatever, <sighs> describing something in minute detail as you watch a tiny ant crawl across grains of sand. Or like one of my favorites from from my childhood was the the turtles, the turtles hatching. This is every there's mm-hmm. been a million nature shows that do this. I don't even know which one I'm thinking of in particular, but do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, it's kind of like born on the beach and then they got to take a big walk. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, how many nature shows have done that? Um, I don't know if I saw, saw the first one of those or like the, the seminal one of those, but I definitely saw at least one of those as a kid and had an effect because they tell you about the baby turtles and here they're going to hatch. And it's like, well, it's a real far way to the ocean and gulls exist. And boy, are these little baby turtles going to make it? And guess what? Most of them don't make it. <laughs> it's dramatic and sad. But you can build them a tunnel. Scary. And they, can, and... uh, they can get a tunnel that they can walk through, and that keeps them a little safer. Oh, you want you want to keep the uh, fitness pressures the same. So that's that's how. Thank uh... God in Yellowstone. Hmm. Also, Sarah Snook is from Adelaide, which means she probably has seen uh, whatever that's called, the Big Rock, Mighty Black Stump. That's it. the The Big Rock, whatever that building is. That no, Ayers so Rock is different. Excuse me. You're thinking of Ayers Rock, and that's a different thing. No, it's called it's called it's called the big the big the big black rock. It's a, it's a building that he likes in Adelaide. Well, the I'm mighty sure. black stump. Like I said, Sarah Snow. It's not a rock. It's talent. a building. Hmm. I don't know about that. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Mint Mobile, the folks who can cut your wireless bill to fifteen dollars a month with their futuristic approach to wireless. If you're still using one of the big wireless providers this year, have you asked yourself what you're actually paying for? Between expensive retail stores, inflated prices, and hidden fees, there's ample opportunity to take advantage of paying customers like you. Boo, big wireless. And that is where Mint Mobile comes in. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage that you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything is online. Mint Mobile saves on retail locations and overhead and then passes those savings directly to you making it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just $15 a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text, and you can stop paying for unlimited data you'll never use. You just choose the plan you want, 3, 8, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. You use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan, keep your same number along with all your existing contacts, and you just ditch your old wireless bill and start saving with Mint Mobile. You know, they sent me one of these, and I have to be honest, I was skeptical. I wasn't sure what I could even do with it. It was really cool. It was it was a really easy experience to set this thing up. Uh, you basically go, there's a very cool, easy to use website, and it comes with a little card. You just stick it into your device, and Bob's your uncle. You're, you're off and, and mobiling. Uh, two thumbs up. Very cool. Very cool. I uh, 
It's so funny to me that the phone that is such a big part of my life today so rarely gets used as a phone, but I still pay for it like a phone. And I, I really love the idea that you can do what you need to do uh, with somebody like uh, Mint Mobile. Please, uh, you, I want you to check them out. They're very cool. So what, what you do is uh, you can go and get a wireless plan for 15 bucks a month. What? Uh, they plan the ship to your door for free. You know, don't be a dingus. Go, go to mintmobile.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Mintmobile.com slash diffs. You go there now. You cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month, you dingus. You go to mintmobile.com slash diffs. Our thanks to Mint Mobile for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM. So what are, what are, what are, what are we doing here? What's going on? Well, we are both... Are we both? We are both back from vacation. I mean, we're back from a trip. I don't know if I call it a vacation. I call mine a vacation. You know why? Why? Because it didn't work. Because it didn't work during it. Yeah. And I also went someplace different. So still... I want to talk about this, but I have really mixed feelings about it. I don't think you should have mixed feelings, because here's the deal. We're all trying to deal with our confinement as best we can. Uh, In a normal year, a normal non-COVID year, during the summer... I usually have two vacations. One of them is a kind of a work vacation where I go to WWDC and I do a live podcast and, uh, you know, do Apple stuff. And that's a week. That's just me. And another is I spend a week or two on Long Island with my family. Uh, that's like my main vacation of the year every year. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's I don't do any work. I don't do any podcasts. I just go to the beach and see my family and that's it. Um, and I think everybody needs time off during the year to maintain sanity. I don't think that's a controversial statement. And so COVID times, well, obviously I can't see my family and I can't even travel out of state because then I have to quarantine for 14 days coming back in or whatever. But still, the need is there to, to a, for me, A, not work. It's really important for me not to do that for some period of time. It's also important to make your kids go places. Yeah, just, just get, like, let's get out of this house. I mean, we went to a different house where it was just us in this different house and we quarantined in a different house and stayed away from people, whatever, but it makes all the difference. You really, yeah, yeah. I needed it. I think the kids needed it. It's great to go someplace different. We, we rented bicycles and rode bikes, socially distanced road bikes with masks on and stayed away from people and went to obscure Massachusetts beaches on weekdays when nobody else was there. Okay. We didn't do hmm. anything else beyond that like it's all stuff that we technically could have done at home but it was done in a more scenic place we were walking distance from a beach we went to that beach uh, uh every evening at sundown to get some sunset pictures because it faced uh westish uh and yeah that's that's a vacation and yeah it was it was over too soon for me so vacation results yeah all right i'm uh, somewhat under protest i'll do this um but um yeah, ordinarily, I mean, you, we we've gone back and forth and had our had our fun times talking about what does and doesn't constitute a vacation. Um, and of course, one of the most selfish metrics for that is is it something that I want to do? Um, but like for example, this is the first time in I think a real long time that nobody from our house visited family um, back in uh, Rhode Island, and um, I. <laughs> I would mention somewhat in passing without naming any names that there are people in our East Coast family who are <laughs> much less wound up about traveling under these conditions than we are. 
But no, it's uh, my wife really missed it. I mean, I, I miss it too. She missed it more because like she's got a lot of brothers and sisters and a lot of nieces and nephews and, um, you know, and I think our, our kid likes it mostly. So, you know, everybody's been pretty locked down for a real long time. So you, you, you want to go first? I thought I already went. I want to hear about your, your vacation. Oh, it's on me. I see. Okay. I see how this is going to work. Well, just, uh, I describe, I describe what I did on my vacation and, and what yes. I thought of it and how it turned mm. out and that you do the same thing. You go out with your, with your social justice bravery and now it's all on me to provide lots of details. What? What? You can provide the same level of detail that I did. Um, we've had several unsuccessful attempts to do anything over the last few months. And, you know, we've talked about this a little bit here. Uh, you know, that problem of, you know, <laughs> You know, you dare God when you start making plans. And uh, each time we've tried to plan anything, um, the reality of what's going on combined with our own admittedly extremely conservative approach to dealing with COVID have kept us canceling lots of things. Um, the first big cancellation um, was in March even as early as, as later, or sorry, as late as early March, we were still planning to go to Disneyland for spring break. <laughs> and that didn't happen. There's been several uh, other attempts at this um, because everybody's a little stir crazy right now. And, you know, um, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm realizing that there are times when I end up having longer conversations with strangers than I need to. And which is kind of odd for me, but so long story short, yeah, we went to this place, went to Yosemite for three nights. We went to this place where you can basically, this place is bananas. I don't know how they put the money together to make these places, but basically there's this, there's these, this company that has a few of these parks where their primary way of staying, their primary lodging at these things, it varies, but primarily they're old Airstream trailers that have been heavily modified modernized, hipsterized. And so we've been thinking for a while, wouldn't it be really cool to do that someday? Is to go, because there's one there's one near the Russian River, there's one near Yosemite, there's some other ones. In fact, I, I think they've actually struck some kind of a partnership with the Airstream company. Because I can't even imagine the money that goes into a project like this. I imagine it's way more than your typical, obviously more than typical campground. But I would bet it's for the number of mm, lodging nights you could do Lodgings per night you could pull off. I bet it's way more costly than most hotels. But um, so, yeah, we did that. We went out and um, spent three nights at this place um, and went to Yosemite, uh, the big park. And it was, it was in some ways, it was amazing. Um, really, from the, for even just getting ready to leave, it was so nice to have the prospect of just not being in the house. I would have been satisfied to just go anywhere that's not our house for a night. <laughs> But uh, no, it was, it was uh, results were good. But uh, yeah, I have some notes. Do you have any anything to add at this point? So you've done stuff like this before. We've talked about your other camp. I like camping. camping. Trips. I've come to like camping. It all comes down to getting the right size vehicle, so you're not freaking out. But there's also a lot of opportunities to plan and structure, and I love things like that. That's very good for my ADHD brain. This trip, I was all about learning how to master the cooler. It was my new thing. Um, but no, yeah, you know, we. I, I really, I enjoy camping if it's not too hot. That was my other question. These Airstream trailers, like they're pretty big. It's a big enclosed space. Do they have climate control inside the Airstream trailer? Is it air conditioned? <laughs> um, 
there was there were several stories I feel like for this trip, at least from my own point of view. There was the story of how some of my systems broke down because I didn't honor my own systems, but it was also a story of day over day improvements that I would attempt. So one of my day over day improvements, whether my family wanted to eat it or not, this the grill the grill slash fire pit we had was really not optimal for cooking. Um, but I, I each day each night I made a steak. And I wanted to get better at it every day. So that was there was that. The most important improvement thing I was working on, climate control inside that thing. Because yes, it does have air conditioning and heat, but I'd, I'd read a little bit about these things. And if there's any knock, but, but this, this camp place was great. I mean, in ordinary times, this would be so luxurious. Like just because it's like, they got a nice clubhouse, and they got a nice pool. It's all really nice. They got cornhole. If you like that kind of thing, um, which really needs a better name, but uh, it was rough to be in this very shiny thing in the sun. And like the first day we got there, it was like, it was crazy because I had not even tried any experiments to get it cooler. But long story short, but by the, by the third uh, night, technically by the, yeah, the third night, um, you saw that photo probably I sent you of aluminum foil <laughs> over the windows. I don't think I saw that one. I saw the inside of the trailer and a shot from that side. I sent you a shared album. I don't know if it went through. Uh, you're one of your uh, Apple addresses. But but so basically, like I had uh, that day, I was like, that's it. This is my day. My day now is going to be, I started, as a Floridian, a, a, a retired Floridian title, I know the importance of starting early. To prepare for the next day's heat, you really have to start the night before. And, it's, and this is very related to what I learned about coolers, which is if you have a walk-in freezer, like if you own a restaurant, I guess, freeze your cooler before you pack it. Because, you know, it's physics, right? It's the same reason you don't run, you know, medium temperature water into a bathtub because that rapidly becomes cold. Why you, why you heat the bowl for your pasta, right? And so uh, that became like my obsession was like, I'm going to get this place cool. I'm going to, overnight, we're going to like overcool it and then I'm going to cover up like... <laughs> ducks and uh like areas above the door i'm gonna close this door i'm gonna put a luna foil over this and i still was only able at certain points to get it i couldn't get it below 84 inside in the afternoon which is still pretty uncomfortable but i don't know why i felt like sharing that with you except that was my dream do you ever feel like you're in a sitcom (laughs) because you're just describing the plot of like that i think it's one from the uh the big book of sitcom plots uh what do you mean uh, family goes on vacation, but dad spends the whole time obsessing over something oh. like the, the temperature inside the trailer while the rest of the family looks at him uh, with a bemused expression and goes about the vacation actually relaxing. Yeah, I mean, that does sound familiar. But I also think, I think people are basically, well, if you can figure out what kind of dog you are today, mm-hmm. your life can be a lot easier. No, no, I'm not. I'm not throwing shade on. I'm just saying it is. It is. No, in no, fact, no, no, uh, not at all. But in know. that case, I, I need a project. I'm a border collie. Like, I need something to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to just go sit by the pool because I'll burn to a crisp. I need something <laughs> to keep my ADHD-addled mind occupied. I need something that I can do in a spreadsheet. And, um, yeah, so, no, but it was, it was, it was, um, I mean, we can move past that. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not sitcom dad. But it was, it was good, you know? It's, um, it was nice to get away, but it was also, it was weird. It was, it, it, it's weird because it's, if the thing that you, maybe other people can, the thing I cannot put behind me, thing that i cannot take my mind off of is the goddamn covid so like everywhere mm. we go I'm, I'm trying not to be that particular guy 
But everywhere we go, I'm like, this is why we can't have school. So, you know, in our, in our case, yeah, we drove a car there. We mostly stayed in this area. We had masks on anytime that we were outside to the point where we looked like weirdos. But like, we went to pick up dinner one night and it's like this very unsocially distanced place. And there were like a total of two masks. They had outdoor dining. There was like a total of two masks. And John, you've never seen, I forget what Tiff called this on top four, but where you got the nose sticking out of the top. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar. You've never seen so much of that in your life. It's just, it's just bananas. And it's like you walking around in that state is you, can you even be bothered to like pretend that you're trying? So even while we were having a nice escape from our same small house in San Francisco, it's still everywhere we went. It was, uh, colored our enjoyment of walking through Yosemite, going on these beautiful trails. Like you're still like, it's just, you know what I'm talking about? Like it's just, it's omnipresent. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned like having a nice clubhouse and a pool. I'd imagine you didn't partake of those because you there would have to be a bunch of people right next to you. I went and hung out with my wife there for a while because I didn't want her to feel like she was being left alone. But mm-hmm. I, so like, you know, all of us are real weirdos about this. Maybe my kid especially is the biggest weirdo. Like she's really like, she just does not, first of all, she's a tween. Like she's happy to look at TikTok and watch Star Trek. Like that's, that would be a fine every day for her. But, you know, I just, I get very uncomfortable being anywhere, any one place for longer than I need to be. And it, it makes me um, really keyed up. Um, anyway, I, I'm not going to say for a second that we didn't have a good time because we did have a good time. It was nice to get away. We got a pretty good, like, crossover SUV with CarPlay, and that was fun and stuff like that. But it's still, like, you, anybody who finds a way to escape this it's not taking it seriously. It's hard to have too much fun right now because it's all, everything's serious. Everything's grave right now. But anyway, I'm, I, I'm probably being silly. It was nice to get away and we did have a good time. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's another one of the points of our vacation was to be outdoors because outdoors you can get far away from people and you can actually enjoy the outdoors where you it's just you and your family and you can't see another person. And that's great. And that is a feeling of, at least for me, I... I relax more when I literally can't see any other people, right? Because that's yeah. Yeah, I'm out. I'm outdoors. It's nice, and I feel like this is the, this is the most protected I am. I'm, I'm more protected here than I am huddled in my house, where who knows, you know, what person has come through there or like whatever, you know, like just. I feel like indoors it makes me more anxious than the great outdoors, which of course makes me dread the coming winter when you're not want to be outdoors. Oh my but God. for now. The vacations where you can go to some place where you can do activities outdoors. Like, that's why one of the reasons we picked this place is because it's near a bike trail. And granted, the bike trail had other people on it. So you couldn't get that far away. But they were, you know. Yeah, but you're passing by them. You're not going to be like hanging around. They were 50, 50 yards away. And surprisingly, uh, uh, most of the bikers were very good about wearing masks while they biked. But then you can ride your bike to a place. And again, especially on weekdays. Uh, not a lot of people on these very long strips of mostly rocky beaches. Uh, and you could just be, have, have the beach essentially to yourself and no, no people for yard, many yards in either direction and like nobody in the water except for you. Um, and that's, that's relaxing because you're, you're in a nice place and you're doing something different and you're, you know, I I find going to the supermarket way more stressful (laughs) because it's like, well, I've got to go in a building and I know there's going to be other people in there and I'm going to have to wait in the line. And it's just, that is much more fraught to me than, 
you know, the, the vacation. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I just think about people who are stuck in like unair conditioned places in like New York. But, you know, there's that um, sort of, I don't know if it's an analogy or an anecdote that I used to really, I, I still like a lot, but I used to rely on a lot to talk about expertise, which is the old butcher. He can't teach you. He cannot teach you uh, how he knows that this is exactly a pound of sliced meat, but he does know that. It would be difficult to teach you because the way you do that is by being a butcher for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, right? Think about when you're a kid and think about how, um, not, obviously, few of us are great at this, but like whether this is a skateboard trick or a bike trick or even just jumping over a puddle. It would be, so if somebody said to you, how do you know if you could jump over that puddle? You'd go like, uh, I don't know. Mostly I know which puddles I couldn't jump over, so I don't try. There's puddles I know I could jump over. There's those that I know I can't. And then in between, I'll probably tend to, you know, go on the side of not attempting it if it looks dangerous. But I can't tell you why that is. And I mean, you could do some kind of like haha meme thing where there's like, you know, uh, measuring diagonal lines and the lady frowning while the math goes on around her head. But like a version of that for me today is I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a doctor. But I do know when there's enough going on that I can feel my blood pressure going up because too many things don't feel right. So if it's an indoor area where there's a bunch of people not keeping distance, not wearing masks, maybe even being belligerent about it, I mean, that's, that is a different kind of virality, which is bad decision-making virality which is like on top of everything else now, you're the person I least trust in the world to be doing the dumb stuff you're doing because your dumb stuff proves that you do dumb stuff. So when we're sitting there and like waiting for the food, I feel like a jerk because I'm like, look, can we go get back in the car? Like I, I don't even, first of all, it's 95 degrees out here. But also I just, I bad mojo. There's something about this situation that doesn't feel safe enough for me. Do you know what I mean? Like, and because I'm not an epidemiologist or a doctor, I can't go up onto the whiteboard and draw this threat matrix about like, you know, what it is to be worried about. But I do know that when I'm around a lot of people who don't seem to be as insane about this as I am, it, it makes me very uncomfortable and it doesn't take too many other compounding factors. And I know separately, all these things man, could be fine as long as it's not aerosol, in which case we're mega screwed already. But, you know, do you follow what I'm saying, though? There's just something where, like, you're, I, I, I'm interested in the idea of learning to not too often trust your gut because your gut is what gets you wrong. With that said, I do know that, like, if I'm uncomfortable about this, abundance of caution tells me that I should exit this situation and, uh, and stay away. Yeah, it's, it's, I find it's also much more relaxing to be uh, around people in the dangerous situations who are of the same mindset. Because then you kind of feel like you're all in this together. So I feel like mm -hmm. when we go to supermarkets here, it's just a bunch of like-minded people. And we're all just head down, masks on, trying to do our thing. And the, the problem is when you start mixing different philosophies, toward, approaches towards this, is that the, the people who are in, in, uh, in our camp who feel like, you know, when in doubt, mm -hmm. stay farther away instead of closer. When in doubt, mask on instead of off. You know, like just... Do just do all the things, right? Yeah. Us uh, acting on that set of uh, on that sort of you know that plan, that game plan, looks to the uh, the other folks 
like all for all the world to be like a social thing that existed before COVID, which is if you walked into a store and everybody backed away from you, mm -hmm. you can't help but feel insulted or shunned or oh, like, what, what, what do I smell? Did I, did, did I fart? Yeah. Like why? Oh, I come in and everyone backs away mm -hmm. while well, you're waiting for your food and you take three steps back. What, what, what's wrong with me? You can't be near me. And so this gets, this gets their back up as you would say. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and they get all super angry about it. And it's like, oh, no, I'm just doing, don't understand. I'm doing the game plan here. We're just like minimize risk of infectious disease. And you do the game plan over there, which is like society is normal and you're backing away from me there. You, therefore you're saying you're better than me. Yeah. Are you saying I smell? And it's just insulting that you would back away. And that's the, or people get, end up getting angry. And whenever I see all those videos of people getting angry about like wearing masks or whatever, I feel so bad for obviously for the employees of the store or whatever. But it's like, I cannot imagine mm -hmm. getting into an argument with an unmasked person oh about literally anything. I know. As soon as someone talks in my direction, I'm gone the other way. Like, I do not want to participate in that argument. Well, I don't well, want I mean, to have like, like encountering a drunk. Like if you encounter a violent drunk, you're not going to say, well, it's probably safe if I stick around an extra 30 well, seconds. I'm having, having an argument with him. I think I can convince him. But it's worse than that because a drunk, like, yeah, it may get violent or whatever. But like the, merely the act of talking and having an argument to an ass person, that's the thing you're trying to avoid. So if you are in the camp of saying I'm trying to avoid that, you have to leave. You can't yeah. stay there and argue with them. Like, uh, and, I see, and I see some people do that because they get caught up in it. It was like, well, now I'm in an argument. So the germs know it's time out and now we'll just have an argument together. It's not <laughs> how germs work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I, I do feel, I do feel a little bit like I'm taking crazy pills, like more so perhaps every week. And it's one reason I enjoy following somebody like Elizabeth Joe, like somebody, I think uh, she's a professor at UC Davis, a law professor she writes a lot of good stuff about law, but she also is, uh, she's sort of like the way that Joe Steele is to Times Confusion media news. I kind of feel like she's that for the California angle and the education angle on a lot of stuff around COVID. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I really appreciate that about her. Uh, it's, it's, I, I, I guess, I guess it, the part that makes me feel especially like I'm taking crazy pills, it's so difficult right now to see such crazy i'm sorry john this is the same show every week but it's not going away and it's making me nuts and i i swear to god i'm trying not to be hostile about this but and i i do believe me I, i'm trying hard to be rational about this i'm i'm i listened to that very good podcast about why people won't wear masks i'm trying to like understand i'm seeking to understand but i i also don't see how i don't see how trying to get this exactly right is a better solution than pouring ridiculous amounts of assets. You know, if you're not mad about how much got spent fixing this, we haven't done enough. Because if you're not frustrated with how that was an overreaction, we haven't done enough. Because ask yourself, how great has it gone so far in terms of like getting a solution that'll stick? Treating this like something that could be like, like even pretending that we're anywhere on the same level as Italy in terms of like, they're a much more homogenous society. They, it's a more manageable area. There's just, it's, it's so cynical to play up every aspect of this, uh, one aspect at a time that benefits one's POV on this, where my POV on everything is, no, 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 five times more of the precaution. Like you, as, as I've grown fond of saying, or tired of saying, we have not earned optimism. And, you know, so part of the reason I want to talk about this is I feel like, gosh, I hope I haven't been careless by doing this. 
But the other part of it is like, Jiminy Christmas. My kid went, went there to pick up her school assigned Chromebook yesterday. And like you sit in the car and somebody brings it to you and it's all very well organized. But like, you know, you don't have to spend that much time reading headlines from Georgia to know what a mess it is right now. Kids can't go to school. Well, they got to go back to school. Why? Because school is important. We don't want them to commit suicide and do drugs. But you're going to kill so many people with that approach. And like, I just, I, I feel like such a broken record, but like, I really, I should shut up about this. I'm sorry. I just feel like uh, my doing 10 times too much is not going to be helpful if there are other people out there that are doing half of enough. There's no yeah. way that people like me and you and my family are going to save this. Like, it's, it's sort of like, you know, like the whole like, oh, you know, it, it's very important that I vote in November, but it's not nearly as important as somebody in Wisconsin or Pennsylvania vote. Their vote means a lot more than mine. And in this case, like in our ensconced professional hipster area, things are mostly pretty good. And, you know, it's in more, it's people of color and with lower income in our community where it's really, really bad. I don't know. Say something. Yeah. I, it's, it's one of those things that, that, you know, we, they can't be solved by individual action. And, you know, we are all collectively together going to be victims of our own stupidity and, uh, and all the mistakes we're making. And the back to school thing is, it's frustrating to me too. We're, we're in a similar situation here where, and, and it kind of amazes me that the, the supposedly enlightened place that I live where people all wear their masks and, and dutifully try to do the right thing for the most part are still saying, but of course the kids have to go back to school. Um, and it's because I think it's mostly because like the mask wearing thing is something we collectively decide. You just go out to walk the dog and you just look around you and say, how many people are wearing masks? and How many people are wearing them properly? They're either, you know, staying on the opposite side of the street or somebody, but if there's someone on the same sidewalk as you, everyone's got masks on right now. And you can just look at that over the course of summer and say, look, we, I think we're doing pretty well. I think we feel like we're all in this together. I think we feel like we should wear masks. A little bit less so when I go by the lake that's near me and I see a lot of people swimming in the lake without masks on and I, and I look at them and I'm like, are those people all in the same family or those are a bunch of teenagers? I think it all the time, all the time. Right, and you're constantly trying to figure that out. But, but anyway, I feel like we're above average. Even that, you know, So you can look out and say, this is a decision we're all making together. Whereas the decision about what to do about school is not made by all of us together in a direct way like mask wearing. It is instead mm -hmm. made by a tiny, tiny, tiny group of people with perverse incentives who were, in theory, got their positions due to the consent of the governed at some point in the past. And those seven or nine people are determining for all the rest of us that, yes, you are all going to send your kids back to school or you're going to decide to homeschool them or you're going to hire a teacher at great expense because you're rich to come teach in your house and make that teacher live with you or something like those decisions are being made for us by a small group of people. And, and even in the most theoretically enlightened community, that small group of people is I feel like th their incentives are different. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know what their incentives are. I don't understand. There's probably some in incentive structure that I don't understand that's making them say that make it's making them lean heavily towards we should send kids back to school versus not. Whereas certainly every single teacher is saying, no, we should not go back into a school building with students together. Right. And I hope most parents are saying, no, I, we shouldn't send our children back into a school building together. But the people who make decisions about what we're going to do have decided that we're going to send our children back into a school together, despite the fact that we all, I mean, I feel like collectively everybody 
including perhaps the tiny group of people that makes the decision, know how this is going to play out. Oh, you yeah. don't have to speculate. Like, we've seen it happen for the people who've already started school. And so, like, do we have to go through those steps? Do we have to do the thing where they send the kid to back to school, someone gets it, then they shut it down again? Like, well, I guess we're just going to play that out. I guess that's what we're going to do. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know, for, but for a country that seems so proud of its <sighs> capitalist uh, and nominally meritocratic system, I'm not saying I agree with that. Like, look at it this way. Let's say I go to, let's go, say I go to a car dealership in um, somewhere outside New York. And I say, hey, listen, a couple things here. I, I would like to get a Ford F-150 that I can drive up the stairs to my apartment, and I would like you to give it to me. And you go, well, okay, there's at least a couple problems with that. Like, one of those is that there's no way you're going to be able to get that up your steps. And second, no, you're going to have to give me $30,000 or whatever. And you go, no, 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 you don't understand. You have to do that. You have to do that. We go, no, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to give that to you until you give me that money. That's how I feel about a lot of this stuff. You're asking something that is so difficult to impossible, and you're asking to do it on a timetable and budget that makes absolutely no sense. And so you just start demanding by fiat that schools need to be open because reason, reason. And it's like, no, okay, then show me the budget. Where's the budget for that? Where's the budget for the, for the mail-in voting? Where's the budget, where's the budget for uh, keeping these schools safe? Where's the, like, <laughs> you, you haven't eaten your vegetables. You don't get to declare by fiat how much dessert you get. I mean, you haven't even bought your vegetables. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm sorry to be leaning on these analogies, but like, I find it so, uh, on the face of it, so ridiculous that all of these people are willing to demand that other people's children be put in harm's way without them doing, the, let alone the minimal, intellectually uh, good faith, honest things that they could do to make this better. See also post office, but also just like this is an unfunded mandate. You can't just you can't just slap a requirement on something and a two week deadline and go. I'm sure you'll work it out. You guys seem real bright. It's it's absolutely bananas. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's easy for us to say this from here in the peanut gallery, but you, we all imagine ourselves and our fantasies that if we were one of the five people that's on the school council or whatever, uh, and like, let's just let's just assume there's there are incentives that exist to make them seriously not want to tell everybody we're going to go full remote like that that maybe the popular opinion is very different than we think it of and think of and if they said uh we're not putting school children and teachers back into the building period until such and such benchmarks are met everybody is remote maybe they would basically be they'd, they'd know they'd be signing their death warrant for their job they was like i'm not going to be on the school council anymore if i make the decision because it turns out either the powerful people hate <laughs> that or uh most of the citizenry doesn't like that or whatever like but if in their heart of heart they believe that you know that's the right thing to do despite the fact that it's going to cost me my job yep. and may you know cause my family to be harassed or like i don't even know what the incentive structures are that are making you we all think they would say well i would know that in this case where it's literally life and death right mm -hmm. not figuratively that i would do the right thing and accept the fact that i'm going to lose my job yeah we all believe we would make the decision, make the hard decision and be the hero of our own story and do the thing that would sacrifice ourselves. But obviously that's not, that's not, maybe, maybe that's not true of ourselves. We think we would do the right thing, but maybe if we were actually in that situation, we wouldn't. Right. And so it's easy to, from the outside to say that every one of those school committee members should do the right thing. But there's the other possibility is they have, don't believe or have somehow convinced themselves that it's, that it's not the right thing, that they really do believe it's safe to have kids back in the school building, that net-net, balancing the 
you know, quality of education versus slightly increased risk of sickness and death. Like it all works out that maybe they think they're doing the right thing and maybe they just disagree with us. That's a possibility too. It just seems strange and coincidental to me that across the entire country, there's, there's this very, seems a very strong push for getting students and teachers back into buildings. And that push it goes against at least my, my philosophy and, and your philosophy. Exactly. Exactly. Like what, what we talk about when we talk about school, right? Yeah. And, and, and it is a whole bunch of, it's a very complicated issue, yada, yada. But like, I, I feel like it, it I, I, it's not surprising to me in places where it's like consistent. We don't wear masks here. And also we're all going back to school. Great. Okay. Good, good job, Georgia. You can be a lesson for the rest of the country. Right. But then in my, own hometown it's like well aren't are we all on the same page where we're staying we're quarantining we're social distancing we're all wearing masks but then in this place everyone's gonna be like but of course we're going back into the school building it's like wait what why what how and i just it's disappointing and and, and again it's the same way that like a lot of people want to have a whole lot of schadenfreude about uh was it when uh in oklahoma right when um in tulsa when when they he had his under attended event there and i was like hey not so fast like all those people they're, they're going to take that right back to where they live. And it's like, in that, in that case, that this is the problem is that it doesn't, it, it requires nearly, I'm saying it requires over 90% participation, but it's easily screwed up by even a fairly, I think by even a fairly small amount of not cooperating. Yeah. It would really help. Like, I mean, this, I'm sure this is some epidemiological uh, word that describes this, but it would really help if this disease was much, much, much more deadly. Obviously, more deadly diseases don't spread as fast because it kills the host before it can spread. But in general, hmm. like if it was just like if you got this, you are say let's say it's not deadly. But let's just say it like it was incapacitated. If it made you, if you impotent, it would help yeah, a lot. Exactly. Or if you got this, you're going to go blind. Or if you got this, you're going to lose the the, the use of your legs. Right. Mm -hmm. And it happened 100 percent of the time. Right. Or very nearly 100 percent of the time. I think we would have a bigger, uh, a much different reaction. But because the you know people get this and don't die and people get this and have uh either no health problems or health problems that are harder to see uh you know that it's the same reason people buy lottery tickets so like well it won't happen you know i'll buy a lottery ticket because i might get lucky and they'll say well it's not gonna happen to me and so that sort of that that basic sort of fundamental human inability to grasp percentages to say like well i feel like yeah it's a problem but we should just you know, I mean, there's a bunch of articles about this, you know, various quotes. From One of the good ones I read recently was like, uh, uh, you know, look, I'm going to go and I'm going to do these things. And if I get it and die, I get it and die. Oh, yeah. The um, the motorcycle rally. Yeah. And the person mm -hmm. saying that is like, OK, well, that's, you know, it's it's a macho, tough guy opinion. And you could actually believe it. Uh, but in your heart of hearts, you're like, but I'm not going to get it. I mean, me, the hero of my story, I'm not going to get it. And if I do, <laughs> they like, can't kill me off. I'm the main character. Yeah, exactly. So that's not, you know, so and yeah. like in, even intellectually they say, of course, I don't believe that, but I'm just willing to play these odds. Uh, it's, you know, the, the the willingness to do that is not helpful to us as a whole, right? Like if your goal is, you know, and that's that's the thing I always wonder, like, can we agree on a goal? Like, is the goal to reduce the number of people who get sick and die from this? Or do we not agree on that goal? Like, I, I don't know if there'd be widespread agreement about that. But if that is your goal. Oh, I see. We're, we're, we haven't really settled on the parameters of, of what we're arguing for or against. Because yeah, when, you, when you press any of this just a little bit, you quickly find out, whoa, I guess we were talking about really different things. Right, because it could be like, so actually, all I care about is that I stay alive and everyone else can die. 
Um, then well, I, just, I really care that I can go back to cleaning pools this week. You know, right. I mean, I can't go clean pools if my dumb kids at home. And and, and if I die, I die. I'm, I'm die, okay die. with that. Mm-hmm. Now you wonder in their last gasping breaths on a ventilator whether they yeah. still agree with that statement. But you know, that's that's future them. Present them really truly believes maybe that if they get it, they get it. Oh well, it'll be fine. But that's really not helping us. The people with that attitude should start their own country where they just, uh, you know, all get infected and have a giant chicken box party, shiny and chrome. <laughs> This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Hover. To learn more about Hover right now, you go to hover.com slash diffs. And you know, this is, this is an easy one for me. Uh, it says here for me to notice uh, and say to you that re- this is one of Relay's longest running sponsors. Well, it's also one of my favorite sponsors because Hover is my domain registrar of choice. It is where I have 20 domains and uh, I think the world of them. But uh, what about you? You know, you got that one big idea. Huh? Big idea out there? What are we going to do? We're going to go. Well, for a, a ton of entrepreneurs, Hover is that big leap because your business starts with a domain name. And Hover has over 300 domain name extensions to choose from. No matter what you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for it. They have excellent technical support to answer any questions you have. And they're dedicated to getting you online, not upselling you. Hover has, get this, free who is privacy so the bad guys can't uh, get your information. You're not going to get that everywhere. A super clean uh, user experience and uh, user interface. Uh, monthly sales on popular top-level domains. So it's easy to see why Hover is the popular choice for people starting businesses. Uh, so many domains. It's And I'll tell you, man, whenever I we come up with a good domain name out of the blue on one of my programs, it's so easy for me to, in some cases, buy and forward the domain before I've even told my co-host that it exists. You've heard this on Do By Friday many, many times. Really love, and uh, I can actually personally uh, recommend Hover. Uh, they're, they're terrific. And uh, uh, everything just works straight out of the box. Beautiful, beautiful. You, you go right now. You, you buy, a do- buy a domain, okay? Start using it today. If you had started when, when I was uh, beginning this uh, particular uh, advertising read, you'd already have, a, have it up and running. You know, if you, if you lived here, uh, you'd already be home is what I'm saying. So go right now, please go to hover.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. And you're going to get a 10% discount on all new purchases. Hachi machi, nothing wrong with that. Let's hear that URL one more time. That's sweet, sweet URL, hover.com slash diffs. Make a name for yourself with Hover. Our thanks to Hover for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. I, I wondered, I've wondered if we were the only people who did this, and it's my sense very much that we are not the only people doing this. Um, everybody has stuff. If, if you've been doing a good job of this, oh yeah, one more thing, I want to pat myself on the back. I feel this more emotionally than rationally, but I had this thought. We were listening to the, um, the oral history of the Office podcast while we were on, on our trip. And uh, long story short, there's this really good um, bit. It's, it's a little hagiographic, but that's okay. That works for me. But um, there's a, like, they're talking about the writer's strike and how basically the writers had gone on strike because NBC was demanding that they write all this stuff that was going to be used for web episodes. Um, and they weren't going to get paid in the extra, even though they were running ads against them. Um, so long story short, the writers go on strike. And essentially the story, at least as told here, was that everybody um, was as supportive as they could be of it. Like down to like, you know, just the SAG and the Writers Guild are not aligned in the way that 
it isn't like when the writers go on strike, SAG automatically goes on strike. Or, you know, the, the hair and makeup people. And that was really used to make people feel bad. Like, oh, you're trying to, you're the best paid people on staff and you're being greedy. And now that nice lady who does your hair is going to lose her house or whatever. It was, you know, how geographic, but nice story. And they were just basically talking about, on the one hand, you know, how everybody tried to stick together and look out for each other, but also really nice stories about how Greg Daniels, like personally from his own checking account, wrote a check to everybody on the crew. Um, And then the actors we were like giving money to the crew, which is, it was a really sweet story. But I had this flash, I mentioned this on Twitter, and I, like I say, I feel this more emotionally than rationally, but I had this flash as we're walking from the car back to our little camper. And it's that like, masks are like collective action. There's a reason that lefties like these things. Like, or, or the reason that we don't like them, but we do them because we have to do them. Like, I don't want to be a scab because I don't want to be the one that, you know, the bricks start falling. There's a reason there's so many folk songs about stuff like, you know, which side are you on and stuff like that. You don't want to make it like that, but that's what collective action is. Collective action is your business can't function until you agree to do collective, collective bargaining. Ditto for things like um, protests and things like that. But like the common thing is like, it's not, it's not, this is not entirely true, 100% perfect, but it, the same part of me that understands why we, if we're going to boycott this, we need to all boycott this. Or if we're going to protest this, or we're going, you know, whatever that is, we all need to do it because that's how we achieve a group goal faster. So as much as I hate these stupid masks, for example, and I hate the social distancing and I hate my kids lost year, I hate all those things, but I don't see any other alternative than to keep doing that. Right. And I do feel like, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be unkind here because everybody's got their reasons. People got to make a living. I do understand all of those things. I'm unusually privileged to be able to be this high and mighty about it. But I do think there is a common thread there, which is we are in this together. And that means that we each have a part to play in this. And each time one of us doesn't play our part or we get lazy about it, or we get too interested in our own self-interest in the short to medium term, it undoes undoes it for the whole group. Whether that is like somebody in the John Carpenter movie, The Thing, whether that is the people who live across the street from John Roderick, like whatever it is, like, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. Like we've all got to do this. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think of these collective action stuff, like I've never been alive during a time when that has happened, but I've only read about it. And the ones that the, the cases where I've read about it, like World War II, um, I feel like the reason it worked then is because the motivating factors were more powerful than all the stuff you just said about getting bored with it and lazy and so on and so forth. And unfortunately, the motivating factors were like fear, racism, and hatred. And that's what it takes to collectively make this country do anything. We got into we, the war had, so late and we, we should, we sh- if we were going to get in the war, we should have gotten in the war when we could have done a lot more good. Everybody says so. But then what did bring us in? was like fear, anger, and racism. And, and and the anger and racism was like, like you know, all the posters of, uh, you know, demonizing the Japanese and the Germans and it, putting Japanese in internments. Like we need, we need to, to, uh, to inhumanize the enemy. We need to be fear, afraid for our lives. We need to hate the other and all sorts of, you know, not good motivations, like bad, like appealing to our, our, not appealing to our better angels or to our sense of collective action, but instead appealing to the worst of us, appealing to the devil on our shoulders saying, don't you want to go and 
kill these, you know, inhuman people who are against us. And like, I feel, I don't know if this was a conscious effort. Like they understood, like this is literally the only way to motivate this entire country to change all of its car factories into airplane factories is to essentially give them somebody to hate and to burn an entire generation who hates the quote unquote Japs, right? Having a common enemy will really help a lot. Right. And totally, de- you know, dehumanize, yeah. dehumanizing them and like, putting our own Japanese into internment camps. Like that was the only way that, that, that was the way to get our entire country to work together to a cause. They have to be afraid. It has to be right. tied to patriotism. They need something to hate. And most of those things are, you would say, that's not, those those are not good things because once you teach them, like we all know, you know, whole generations of people who yes. grew up in the World War II era who still hate the Germans and the Japanese and still, you know, think of them as, as less than human, right? And think that it was we should have put the Japanese into internment camps, right? But that's what it that's what it took, right? That's what we did, and that's how we mobilized our entire country to to do what it did in World War II. There's another part of that though, and let's take a dark COVID thought and make it jet black. Uh, which is this, you know, there's, I need a name for this, but the thing that you only say in hushed tones to people to whom you are very, very close. I'm sure we've all had these sorts of conversations where I could imagine people having conversations about, for example, a lot more rich men in positions of power are going to have to die before this is taken seriously. So, but applying that sort of logic to the war, the thing that I feel like it fairly short shrift or maybe just didn't get encoded like hard enough on us, at least on me in American history class is um, I don't even think there was much of a sense. So, so we were, we were down in the count. We, there was the, there was the Pearl Harbor thing that happened, whatever, but you know, 1943, really not good. 43 was bad. 44, very bad. And then by the time you're getting to like liberating the camps in 45, well, remember, we're, you're, you're, uh, you're, you might be winning in Europe mostly because we didn't know how ground down they were, I guess. But we didn't quote unquote win in Japan until the summer and dropping the atomic bomb twice, right? But ask yourself this, if it was more like the Gulf War or the first Gulf War, or the second Gulf War, right? What if it was a what if it was a war of choice? And what if we weren't as down in the count as we were for the majority of the time? I mean, I'm not a scholar of this, but it's my understanding that, like, you know, you just go back and watch the like you can go in the one nice thing on Wikipedia, there's like pretty great pages that will show you like who the belligerents were in a given battle, you know, casualties on each side, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm just telling you, 43 was not a terrific year for us. But imagine if it had been. Imagine if things really started looking up late 42, early 43. You know what I'm saying? And we hadn't really stayed committed to the war effort. I'm not saying there's any big heroes here, but I'm just saying, if we treated World War II the way that we're treating this, we keep popping our head out every few minutes to say, is it all clear? It's like, no, go back down, start over, two weeks. You follow? It needed to be that bad for us to succeed on some level. If it hadn't been that bad, we might have just folded our tents and gone home early. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the analogy is like, you know, if if the if all the automakers didn't turn their factories to making airplanes and bombs and musicians and munitions, and if we didn't all work together, and it's, it's not to say that the, you know, like we said, well, it seems like it's going like in your scenario, it seems like it's going okay. You don't need the Ford factory to make tanks right, right. Like, we'll just have you the, got, one you, of the nash factory that little nash factory yeah, can keep or, making or, your bombers or just on an individual basis why should i have to yeah. you know whatever not not have i tin need this cans gas for whatever. my work 
Right. Yeah. So why? Why? I don't understand why I should have to make a sacrifice every time it's going fine. And like, and and it's not to say that you know we needed you know fear and racism to motivate everybody. Obviously, I would imagine the vast majority of people who lived in the country wanted to a win the war because we were attacked, and basically it's like you attack us, we attack you. Fine. And your kids. This so many of people's kids were overseas. Right. Nazis are bad. Uh, we want to defeat them. You know, we're the good guys in this war. Like everyone's on the page, and yay, patriotism, collective action. Right. But there's always that contingent that says, well, why Why do I have to sacrifice anything for this? I don't believe that. I think it should be fine. Like, I think just let it play out. The war will happen without us. Like, the same people saying, you know, oh, well, I'm probably not going to COVID. And look, if I get it and I die, fine. Just, I don't, But I'm not going to participate. And it, it seems to me that to get that last X percent of people to be on board with collective action, which, as you just noted with the whole writer's strike thing, you kind of need some critical mass of people or it just doesn't work. And I feel like with the COVID thing, we do not have critical mass because nope. there's this contingent that says, eh, and that, like, and we don't, we're not, you're not motivating that contingent by. Uh, well, with, it's also it's with, on the honor system. Know. It isn't like rationing tickets, uh, rationing for gas and food with coupons where like, if you're on the black market for that stuff, you're considered, that's considered like a pretty lame and illegal thing to well, do. No, then today it would be a point of pride where, you know, white militias would be uh, holding armed protests to and uh, liberating vegetables <laughs> that they don't have rations for. Like Liberate the vegetables. Yeah, like, like the, I feel like the, the only way to motivate a certain subset of people is to, to, to appeal to their worst instincts and to, you know, to either have to make them incredibly fearful with propaganda or incredibly angry with racist propaganda. Oh, and that's God. what they responded. And that's, you know, you mentioned before the whole, the various podcasts you heard in those articles about like, look, forget about being right about, oh, you should wear a mask because you're a dummy, right? What would it take to actually change hearts and minds about masks? And what it takes is a bunch of stuff that you look at and say, really? Yeah. I have to do that? That convinces people? It's like, look, I know it feels weird, but if your goal is to get more people to wear masks, this is the BS we figured out to do it. <laughs> do you want and to be right or do you want to be alive? <laughs> right. But unfortunately, like all those, all the things that I've seen about that, they're like, oh, you have to like approach them this way and appeal to this. All of them draw the line at like saying, well, what you have to do is demonize an entire race and put horrible caricatures on posters and make up racist slogans and that will do it. And people would say, okay, well, that... I can see how that would work, but no, I'm not going to do that. And it's like, well, then you're all going to die because <laughs> what we've determined is that's literally the only way to get all of us, enough of us to get that critical mass of us to all pull in one direction to do something that requires personal sacrifice. Right. And so yep. like those, those hopeful articles are like, if we just approach it from a different direction and talk to them in this nice way. Right. And like <laughs> the various approaches they had, None of them, they may be manipulative and strange, but none of them were outright evil. And none of them had the side effect of, and when we're done, they'll hate all Japanese people for the rest of their lives. Like that's, that's not any of those articles. And I fear in my darkest moments that that is literally the only way yeah. that we will get out of this alive. So here's, here's our happy way out of this. And I, I, I had wondered if uh, I and my family were the only people doing this, but I think we are far from the only people doing this. We have an aftertimes wish list. Does you, do you or your family? And you don't have to give a bunch. I'm going to give one. Do you want to give one? What's on? What's near the top of your list for a thing you really want to do if things go back to normal? Just for the sake of argument, just for the sake of the the, the exercise, act like you were nearly normal. Like what are you what are you going to do as soon as you can? Remember back in the early times when it was still when we were still talking about how for some of us staying indoors all the time actually isn't that bad. Yeah. Right before before we got to talk onto the more serious topics. Yeah. Unfortunately, 
my sort of like thing I'm looking forward to doing after, like, I just want everyone I know and care about to be healthy and alive. Like that's literally all. And that sounds like, oh yeah, of course everybody wants that, but yeah, but beyond that, what do you want? And the thing is, I don't really have much of anything beyond that. Other than like seeing my family and going, going, seeing, seeing my family and going back to Long Island is my number one. Right. Cause, cause I missed out on on that. Okay, fine. That's mine too. Good night, everybody. Well, no, but, but that's like, you know, I know I did a vacation this year, but it wasn't the same and it was lonely and it's not Long Island. Right. And so I can't do that thing. Right? I think you're being very unimaginative. Isn't there a thing you would love to be able to do that's impossible to do right now? To give you an example, so I didn't go to WWDC this year, right? Yes, that, no, I would take that. Was, I would accept that. While it was sad not to see everybody, I also enjoyed the fact that I didn't have to get on a plane. <laughs> is, is, am I a bad person? Yes, yes, yes. Am I a bad person for feeling that way? That's yeah. honestly how I felt. And net, net, I would have preferred to go for sure, but there's a very strong... You know, the, the, and they look at those scales. There's a lot of weight on one end, which is like, see all the friends do the exciting thing or whatever. And there's actually a fairly large amount on the other end. It's less on the other end. So net mm-hmm. net, I'd re- prefer to go, but it's a substantial weight. So when we go back to quote unquote normal, and now I have to get on a six hour plane flight again, uh, or go into the office or whatever, and things that I generally don't like, uh, I, I, a lot of that clouds my sort of, uh, you know, enjoyment of doing this. Oh, I'm going to the movies, I suppose. That's, yeah, yeah I mean, no, go, that, that's a good one. Seeing family and going to the movies are probably the big ones for me. But that, but that's very basic. I, I do sometimes feel like I wonder if I, I wonder if I have the courage to go back to normal because of the things that I'm going to have to like the grind that I'm going to have to get back into. And it's not a grind like anybody. Most people's grind. My grind is pretty simple as grinds go. You know what I mean? I do often say to myself, "Wow." Um, you know, I wonder if I have the courage and, uh, intestinal fortitude to really do that. I mostly think about, uh, you know, so for, for all of my life, it's been my understanding that, you know, again, getting back to Japan, that Japan people wearing masks, surgical masks, uh, in public has just been common all the time. But when you have a cold, you wear a mask, it's just a polite thing to do. I do wonder if we, uh, if America will get on that bandwagon, even after all this passes by or whatever, right. just because now, a certain subset of people has been socialized that masks are just a thing that you do. And then let's say COVID goes away entirely. And we never have to worry about it again. And we're many years in the future. Will it become common practice to every time you have a cold to just put a mask on? Yeah, right. That's a really good question. I, th- I mean, obviously, I think it's perfectly fine. Japan has gotten long for decades, maybe my entire life doing Michael just Jackson that. Jackson used to wear a surgical mask and we all thought he was out of his mind. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I used to think the same thing about seeing the people in Japan doing it. It's like, I mean, I didn't people think they were in my neighborhood, mind, I, I just thought, thought it was very... I just thought, isn't yeah. that eccentric? It's like, I understand how it could work, but it seems like it seems like a little extreme for just something as simple as the common cold, right? And maybe it is, like, because, you know, we all get colds and everything is fine and yada yada, right? But... Now that there is this new player on the field, which is, right, it's like the cold, but nobody has any immunity and it's a big problem. Uh, maybe just out of an abundance of caution, just get into that habit of like, look, if you're sick, put it on and for it to be looked upon as like, like no, there's no there's no pandemic anymore. Like there's no thing going around, but no one wants to get a cold. So if you see someone with a mask, what you should think instead of look at that weirdo with the mask, you'd be thinking, oh, how nice. They must have the sniffles and they're trying not to give me the sniffles. So they're wearing a mask in public. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Imagine. Uh, can you imagine a world where the reaction to seeing one lone person on on a train on a subway, you know, decades into the future, the reaction of most people in that train car would be, "Oh, it's nice that they're doing that. I appreciate that." Mm-hmm. And then to glare at the person who sneezes without a mask, you know, two poles away in the in the in the streetcar or whatever. I wonder if it'll be eventually be like just not like uh, somebody not wearing pants on the subway or something. 
Yeah. Or like, I mean, I think there is, you know, if you sneeze and don't attempt to cover your sneeze and you just sneeze right into someone's face, I think we don't like that in this country. In general, we want you to cover your sneeze. I feel like mask wearing is just the next step up from that. And if we ever do get back to normal times, I'm hoping that we will become a as as mask wearing a country as Japan, at least in some places. Hmm. Uh, But that uh, but as you noted before, we sure as hell have not earned that optimism. I am, uh, I'm going to tell you mine. I just sent you a link. Um, I got, we, we got several of these that we've been collecting over time. Um, we've, we'd love to go back to the Monterey Aquarium, uh, especially now that my kid likes Star Trek so much. Uh, there's a, maybe go to a fancy hotel with a pool. One of my high up on the list, and Alamo Draft House. Go back to Alamo Draft House, see a movie. Like, so fun. My big one, though, I just sent you a link to this. Uh, it's part of the Bon Appetit family of YouTube shows. There's a show uh, called trying everything on the menu with that guy, Alex Delaney. And he, and one of the other Bon Appetit chefs goes to a restaurant and literally orders everything on the menu. I'm not saying I want to do that, but in this episode, they go to this place I, I wasn't familiar with, but called Balthazar. And it says here in Soho. And I, I, you know, John, I, I don't want to say it's a challenge, but I would say, watch this video and see if you come out on the other end of this video, not really, super duper wanting to go eat a bunch of meals in new york city i would love it so much i would love there's a bunch of there's uh there's this particular guy and his thing there's the other one where is it always just too random i've seen a lot of these episodes where they go to like a deli and they have all the sandwiches yeah. but then they like pick which is the best out of all the sandwiches and they take one bite of everything yeah yeah this is the same thing yep yeah absolutely the, the another one that's really good is I'm um, trying everything at uh, famous Court Street Grocers, the sandwich place. That one is really good too. Yeah, I mean, I obviously I have I watch these things and I feel a lot of nostalgia for New York foods and and just the general sort of New York style places and and yeah, like we we as a family go to restaurants a lot. I feel like a lot less often than most people. But judging by all the people saying you know complaining about going, we we go to them occasionally. We're much more of a takeout family than a go to a restaurant family that, mean, and the, i feel like that four is, times yeah, yeah the before yeah. times no, um yeah, I'm just asking. because and i think we it was a, it's sort of a learned behavior where like i think in my my adult life it was like i was in college and you're a college student then i got married right out of college and then we had no money so you're not going out and then we had kids and you're not going out because our kids were not <laughs> when there restaurant. was no crawdad you at sand yeah Kids were not re- particularly restaurant ready, and it was just yes. too stre- more stressful than enjoyable to go to a restaurant with kids. And then when our kids got old enough where that's not a problem anymore, we had this firmly established thing of essentially not going to restaurants too often. And we've been trying to break from that recently, like right before coronavirus. We went, like we have a favorite restaurant that we go to. We've been going to our our whole life mm-hmm. uh, here in Boston. And some like sometimes we go like oh we'd go for anniversary. Although normally we're on Long Island for anniversary, but we go for like some kind of special occasion. And then right before coronavirus, we went there like three or four times for no reason which was Ooh. weird for us like why are we going to the restaurant no reason just to go to just just the two of us did you feel like something was changing no absolutely not it's Ooh. just like i feel like we snapped out of the idea that look our you know our kids aren't going to be a problem in a restaurant and in fact we don't even well, need that, to take I'm sorry, them that, that's the way i meant it i meant it more in the sense of you haven't previously been a restaurant person. Did you feel that slightly changing that you were becoming a little bit more of a restaurant person? I feel like it's not that I, we dislike restaurants. I just feel like a, you know, go do something for no reason. We're, we're not mm-hmm. a go do something for no reason kind of family in general. And it's, you know, 
as we get older, I think it's like, you know what? Like we have a limited number of days in this earth. We're probably going to all die. Like this is again before coronavirus. Like yeah. if you get hit by a car tomorrow, are you going to regret, you know, like you could have gone to your favorite, like what if our favorite restaurant closed to go? Who knows? It probably already is closed, but this was before coronavirus. It's like, for all we know, one day we could say, Hey, we haven't been to our favorite restaurant in a year. Let's go there and call them up. And the number is disconnected because they're gone. And won't we regret not having gone five times in the last year? Cause what was stopping us? Our kids can stay home by themselves or we can yep. take them. We have enough money to go to a restaurant once every month. Like it's not, why are we not going? Oh, you got to get on the train and go down. Oh, it's a, it's like, but really is that what's stopping you it's just force of habit you know what i mean so and that's a, for me that's a classic merlin ep- episode of um oh uh, but then when i've done it i'm like you know i'm really glad we did that because if you go uh, like that's my attitude towards a lot of things if you go like that you'll just never go anywhere or do anything and then in the end that's that's worse mm-hmm. 